March is Developmental Disabilities Awareness Month, a month to highlight the importance of including those with developmental disabilities in all areas of community life. A policy change at state level, Senate Bill 1606, guarantees Oregonians with disabilities access to people they trust to provide support when they are in the hospital. It's Tuesday, March 2nd, and this is OHSU Week. I'm Josh Anderson. I recently had the chance to discuss Senate Bill 1606 and how it will affect patient care in Oregon. Welcome to OHSU Week. Let's get started with some introductions. Dr. Freeman, why don't you start? Great, happy to. So uh, my name is Dr. Kurt Freeman. I am the director of the Institute on Development and Disability here at Oregon Health and Science University. Good afternoon, I'm Emily Cooper. I'm the legal director at Disability Rights Oregon. We are the protection and advocacy agency for the entire state of Oregon serving people with disabilities. I'm Gabrielle Gadon, the executive director of the Oregon Self-Advocacy Coalition and I am also someone that experiences intellectual and developmental disability. Well, thank you three for joining me today. Dr. Freeman, why don't we get started with you? Um, can you explain what the Institute on Development and Disability does at OHSU? Yes, I'd be uh, thrilled to. So the Institute, or what we call IDD for short, is a 100 plus year old organization that focuses on improving the lives of individuals with disabilities and special health needs and their families. We do that through clinical care, both uh, through our permanent locations in the Portland metro area, as well as in our permanent location in Eugene and outreach clinics across the state. Um, we also engage in a significant amount of scholarship and research to better understand issues and ways of supporting individuals with disabilities and their families. Um, we also have a large educational arm where we're training the next generation of leaders of healthcare experts um, to support people with disabilities. And then we have public health efforts through a variety of offices that sit within the Institute. The largest arm of our Institute is our clinical arm, and that is the Child Development and Rehabilitation Center, or CDRC. Um, and that's the language that lots of people, both within OHSU, but also in our community are familiar with, because for many years we actually called ourselves CDRC and then were rebranded as an institute. So we, while primarily pediatric focused, we do have some lifespan programs, and we really are the state's um, primary organization to serve the needs of people with disabilities, largely through evaluation services, as well as some management services for patients um, with certain kinds of conditions. And then, of course, we do intervention and care as well. So our largest footprint is certainly clinical, but we have some really important endeavors that happen in the public health arm. So we house the Title V program that is specifically focused on children and youth with special health needs. Um, so where Title V sits within the Oregon public health system, we are the portion of that that delivers that um, for children and youth with special health needs. We also house the Oregon Office on Disability and Health, which is a federally funded program to help address health disparities and health access issues for people with disabilities, particularly adults with disabilities. 
And then we have a university center on excellence in developmental disability, which is also a federally funded program. And they have a really important mandate to work with other partners, including the organizations represented by my um, colleagues here today, as well as others, to really um, make sure that we're connecting with all of the parts of um, the health the care systems and advocacy groups to ensure that we are contributing to helping Oregonians who experience disability uh, be fully engaged in their community and in healthy lives. So Emily, can you explain the law that has changed and how did it come about and what are the implications for patients with disabilities? The law that passed was really important for people with disabilities in Oregon. The name of it was Senate Bill 1606. It passed in June of, this, of 2020 but going back before that, it's early on in the COVID-19 pandemic, my office, as well as Gabrielle's office and the DD Coalition and a lot of disability rights advocacy groups were getting scary calls. There were calls from family members and people with disabilities who were either being denied access to medical care because they didn't have a pulsed uh, physician order on life-sustaining treatment or a do not resuscitate order or a DNR. We were seeing emergency departments throughout our state requiring these documents when people with intellectual disabilities cross the threshold of the emergency department, even for simple things like complications related to asthma. And so we were worried there may be discrimination going on, and that worry was soon materialized. We got a call from a person with a physical disability who was denied the right to have a support person with her in the hospital even though she did not have the physical ability to use the nurse's call button. There was also a person with an intellectual disability who was denied a support person who was nonverbal, and they needed that support person to help communicate with their medical team about the, their care needs, wishes, and preferences. And finally, I'm personally connected to someone with mental illness who was on a locked psychiatric unit and also couldn't get access to a, a support worker to help them with choices and preferences, what was offered was FaceTime, but in this case, it was a patient experiencing auditory and visual hallucinations, so FaceTime just wasn't the appropriate remedy for providing support. So between the barriers at the front door of the hospital and the issues with support persons, Gabrielle and I, who you'll hear from in this podcast, um, joined forces with the DD Coalition and other advocates to demand a change. And so with this sponsor, the support of Sarah Gelser, who is just a phenomenal lawmaker here in Oregon, we got Senate Bill 1606 passed into law and it went into effect immediately. And we so appreciate being on this podcast to talk with all the staff at OHSU and with the Institute on Development on Disability to help understand why this law passed and how at the end of the day, it doesn't just protect patient rights, it makes the medical staff job easier and better because they're able to understand the needs of their patients. They may be nonverbal, they may have limited speech, they may use a sign language interpreter. And at the end of the day, the common sense solution in Senate Bill 1606 was, hey, why don't you let those patients choose who's there to help them communicate and support them while they're in the hospital? There, there have been so many changes with COVID and things and even bringing visitors in and all of that. Does, does this bill address some of those shorter term needs? I think that's a really good point. I think what we saw early on in the pandemic is hospitals and medical offices were doing the right thing by mitigating the spread of the virus and limiting who came in and out. But what those policies failed to think about is how to accommodate then people with disabilities who by federal and state law 
are entitled to accommodation so they can be informed patients and fully engage with their medical staff. And so in a way, Senate Bill 1606 isn't anything new. It's just a reminder, yes, we can't forget about patients with disabilities, their choices, their needs, especially in a pandemic when we know these are the populations that have been disproportionately impacted by this awful virus. One of the things that this bill covers is making sure that people have a choice to be able to have access to the providers or the non-paid supports in their life so they can bring them in to be able to communicate this is about support and making sure that people have the support they need, but also the choice to choose not to do it as well. Gabrielle and I often talk about this. We don't want it to go the other way either. So sometimes when you think about a person with a disability, they're like, oh, there's no way they can choose. So I'll go ahead and get their support person. What was great about this law is it makes clear that the hospital should simply ask the patient, do you need help communicating? And if it's yes, okay, let's bring in a support person. And if it's no, it's no. And they can continue to have that therapeutic relationship with that patient as if they're any other patient. Well, Gabrielle, you have personal experience with the importance of this new law. Can you talk about that? Back in around 2009, 2008, I actually got the H1N1 and I ended up in the hospital. And when I ended up in the hospital, my mom was able to come in and advocate and help me communicate my needs because when I get sick, I have trouble vocalizing, but also connecting things together. So with my mom's support, I was able to communicate those, but also she was able to explain what was being told to me so I could make the decision and what I needed and what I wanted in a way that I could understand. She also was able to support explaining my medical condition and my disability so they could be able to communicate easier and feel more confident in talking to me. Well, it's really a, a benefit on, on the patient side and on the healthcare provider side, and I would imagine. Yes, it was created for the advocates and the people with dis disabilities. But then in the day, it is actually benefiting both sides because they have another teammate to help if the person chooses and needs the support. They have this other teammate to be able to help them get through the situation they're in, no matter what it is. So it really is a team effort and it gives them more confidence and less second guessing. Should I do this? <laughs> is this what they're saying to me? So it's, it really helps everybody out. The doctors and nurses want the best for the patient and they just want to make sure that they're doing the best. And by having this person, it helps them be able to do that. So, Gabrielle, I have a question for you. Why were you worried at the beginning of the pandemic when hospitals were turning away visitors? I actually am somebody that experiences intellectual and developmental disability and some with a medical condition. And last time I was in the hospital, my mom didn't just help me, support me by communicating. She also defended me when I was mistreated or misunderstood. And so... Um, it was a fear that I would be left alone not to have that support communication with the doctors, but also if there was a misunderstanding or someone didn't understand or I didn't understand, there wouldn't be some someone there to support me so I could make the best choice for myself. I have a lot of friends that experiences disabilities and medical conditions, mental health barriers at time, and I didn't want to see them go through what I went through. Thank you for sharing that. 
Um, we're going to switch gears a little bit. Dr. Freeman, can you talk about implementing a, a law like this in the hospital system? Yeah, I'm happy to comment. Um, and I'll certainly talk from my experiences with OHSU, but I'm confident that um, other health systems across the state of Oregon have, are going through and have gone through similar steps. So at, at face value, this law is, it makes perfect sense. It's something that OHSU certainly understands and supports because we want to make sure that we are helping our patients um, succeed in their access and engagement with healthcare. Very quickly when that law was passed, because there was parts that went into place immediately and then parts that came pretty quickly after that, um, OHSU pulled together a large group of stakeholders, including legal representation, patient advocacy leaders, um, logistics leaders, because there's signage requirements, some folks like myself who are um, administrative and clinical leaders and have connection to the disability world, educational leaders, because we now had to think about how we are educating our workforce and, and informatics and workflow um, uh, folks as well. And so OHSU very quickly pulled together a variety of stakeholders to really start working through the different things that need to happen. We needed to look at all of our policies and make sure that they were reflective and in alignment with this new law. And then from that, we needed to put into place some immediate actions of communicating to potential consumers of our services about these rights that are um, supported through this law. So since this law has been passed, we have temporary signage that has been posted across the hospital system with plans for permanent signage to be in place soon. We have started educational efforts to providers. Um, anybody who's a provider at OHSU knows that you're required to do an annual quality assurance and safety refresher. And so we were able to provide information about the new requirements of this law and that and are also working on um, how this is embedded in initial onboarding for new faculty and staff, as well as part of ongoing training that happens for the right um, professionals. And then our informatics and workflow teams have really been working hard to get EPIC set up correctly so that at registration, our support staff are asking patients the right questions and then documenting whether they have identified support workers as one example of steps that need to happen to really help our system not only respond to this, but sustain the response in an organized and systematic way. These things need to be done so we can have better patient outcomes for everybody. Yeah, and it really, it, it codified some things that were reflective in other existing laws as well as policies within OHSU, but it really amplified some of those aspects in a much clearer way. And while I firmly believe every provider and every health system is striving to do the best, we know complexity creates challenges. And so it really sets a mandate of what we as a health system need to do to make sure we're creating appropriate supports and choice opportunities for people with disabilities. I had a friend that actually spent some time in the hospital and after this got passed, she went in the hospital. She was actually asked, do you want your provider here? And she was able to say, nope, I can communicate myself. Thank you. <laughs> and so she was able to buy this Senate bill being passed, she was able to make the choice. And I even experienced hearing the nurse talk to her and ask her what she wanted. And so it was actually a really great experience talking to her during that time. So there is a really good outcome and there is change happening. 
March is Developmental Disabilities Awareness Month. How can our listeners learn more or be a part of it? By contacting your advocacy groups throughout your state, as well as getting in contact with DD Coalition, where you can learn about bills that will affect people with intellectual and developmental disability. Also contacting Disability Rights of Oregon and looking at their webpage. They have a lot of updates on a variety of disabilities and I'm sure they're going to have some bills on there as well to let people know what there is for people to advocate for. I would actually say I would start with your website, which is the Oregon Self-Advocacy Coalition, because I think what's really important, I think, when you learn about any disability is we have a motto in our community, nothing about us without us. And so what Gabrielle and her organization do is they embody that. With lived experience, they're pushing for advocacy, they're they're informing, they're making law. And so, and I say start there because I think one of the important things folks of us who don't identify as having a disability have to do is address and dismantle the bias and the assumptions we make about the abilities of our friends, our community members, and other Oregonians with disabilities. And so to me, that's my, the call to action is, you know, really look at the assumptions you make about people and their abilities. Other thing, and I just have to throw this in because it's super cool, um, In the Shadow of Fairview, I think is a recent documentary that talks about the disability rights movement for people with intellectual disabilities in Oregon. And it explains, I think, why, you know, Gabrielle and I today are focusing on rights and choice because we don't have a great history um, in the state and in this country. And so just like other, any other civil rights movement, we really need allies because that's how we get laws changed and rights protected. And it's that, that arc of the universe that we can help bend. One more thing to really do is talk to your coworkers at OHSU and talk about holding a training and hiring people with intellectual and developmental disabilities or any other disability to really give you the real training behind working with people with disabilities. I've heard from a couple nurses that are actually through school that they would love to have that as more of a part of their, the curriculum to their training so they can best help people in the future. Just look things up with each other and talk about it. Start a conversation. Gabrielle, it's as if you served me a nice softball because um you really uh, are highlighting what I was going to add to this conversation because, I, first of all, I think what you all shared is absolutely true. Listening to, reaching out to members of the community who experience intellectual and developmental disabilities, either individually or through organizations like the one that Gabrielle leads, are very important and critical for all of us on our um, ongoing uh, journey to be allies to all members of our community, including those with disabilities. At OHSU, I feel very proud to be the leader of an institute who is here to serve our community, which includes our OHSU community. So we are here to help all of us be more effective at supporting the needs of all of our community, including those with disabilities. And we are here to use our expertise um, for our employees as well. So don't hesitate to do a little Googling and type in ohsu.edu backslash IDD. That will take you to the Institute. Um, and from there, you'll be able to explore some of the 
programs and aspects of what exists here at OHSU and find contacts for people you can reach out to, including myself. I'd always be happy to talk to anybody about what we can do, what we are doing, or what we might do in the future to help um, our institution be the most effective at supporting people with disabilities. Um, in addition to seeking out and exploring the other resources that have been mentioned, I also want to take a moment to highlight that um, opportunity that's occurring on March 4th here at Oregon Health and Science University. So as part of the Department of Pediatrics Grand Round Series, we are fortunate to have um, a nationally recognized speaker who will be presenting as part of our Developmental Disabilities Month's efforts. And they are all virtual at this point, of course, and so you can live stream or watch that at a later date if you're not able to catch it on March 4th. Dr. Freeman, Emily, Gabrielle, thank you so much for joining me on OHSU Week. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Thanks. OHSU Week is a production of Strategic Communications, this episode was produced and edited by me. I'm Josh Anderson. Thanks for listening.